The following sermon is brought to you by Capital Community Church, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Capital Community Church is a people awakened to a holy God. If you are searching for a new church home, or from out of town looking for a church to worship with, or simply seeking for answers, please join us for worship at 1045 a.m. every Sunday morning and 6 o'clock p.m. for our evening service. If you have any questions, please email us at info at We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. Well, good evening. It's good to be back with you guys. I'm excited to be with you and for us to walk through God's Word together and journey on in our evening service and pick up right back in the Word of God. And tonight, let me give you just a little bit of roadmap of one, where we're going tonight, but also where we're going in the course of the next couple of weeks. So we are going to be looking at and studying the book of Zephaniah. Now, I'm going to go ahead and ask, if you will, turn over to Zephaniah, and it's okay if you have to look in your table of contents and find that book, because Zephaniah is not necessarily a book that is studied very often. I will admit that to you, but it is one, though it is a short book, only three chapters, what we are find, what we're going to find over the next couple of weeks is that it very much is very important in the story and the history of salvation. This minor prophet plays an important role in the story of salvation. But also what we're going to see is that it's a pivotal reminder for us of the message that God gives to this prophet to proclaim judgment, and judgment to which the people of Judah, as we'll learn about in this context, needed to hear. But it's also the same judgment that we, are going, that we today can come under. So there's not a lot of uh, disconnect here between Zephaniah even into uh, 2023. But we're going to take a look in, into this short uh, little minor prophet right here nestled towards the end of the Old Testament. And I believe that we're going to find very much so many connections to the New Testament as we walk through this minor prophet. And in fact, if you know much about the minor prophets, you will know that they are referred to a lot in Jesus' own teaching. He talks about Jonah. He talks about Malachi, and of course, even within the Old Testament prophets, they are pointing to the Messiah. So the prophets over and over and over again, the minor and the great prophets like Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah, I mean, they know that the Jesus is coming, the Savior is coming, and they have a repeated message of that over and over and over again. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks together in this book. But what I want to do tonight is I want us to get a very brief overview of this book because, not making fun of you guys, uh, but Zephaniah is not studied enough. And what, we, what I want to do tonight for us is unpack just a little bit of the history its, uh, its author, the date to which it's written, and of course, the main message that this prophet is declaring to the people of God. And again, this is going to paint for us, I believe, just a, a fuller picture of these of the texts that we're going to unpack in the next couple of weeks. And just like Grant's issue, we do not have an outline tonight, so you are going to have to use pen and paper, and it's okay. It'll get that writing muscle going in your arm, and as well as I remember my 11th grade teacher, if you're writing, you're not going to fall asleep. Huh? So that's right. So I expect to see um, manuscript tonight of everything that I have said. That's a joke. And so, but anyway, but let's, let's get a little overview of this author. So Zephaniah 
we don't know much about him as a whole. We don't know what his, how old he was by the time that he gets this word from the Lord. But what we do know about Zephaniah is that he has a royal lineage in his family line. He comes from a royal family. And where do we find that? If you look in Zephaniah 1, you see that he has a famous king in his lineage, Hezekiah. And if you know much about Hezekiah in 2 Kings 16 and as well as in 2 Chronicles 28, he was a good king. He did right in the eyes of the Lord. Then Zephaniah, his name means Yahweh was hidden. Yahweh was hidden, which also signifies two things. One, that his family were worshipers of Yahweh. They were faithful. They were faithful. But also what it also helps us to see is that he is coming with a message from the Lord himself. And so his name has a twofold meaning. What we know about Zephaniah, he's a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah. And we know this because Zephaniah is mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 29. The same priest, Zephaniah, this is the guy that Jeremiah is talking about. And the date to which this is written is around 640 to 680 B.C. And the reason why I pull that out is and where he is in writing to the tribe of Judah is because this is in the reign of King Josiah. King Josiah. And if you know much about King Josiah, he was the child king. He came to the throne when he was eight years old. Can you imagine that? An eight-year-old coming to the throne? And King Josiah was a good king. Now, you probably heard me say already, evil king and good king, but that's exactly how the chronicler and as well as the writer of Kings describes the people who lead Israel and Judah, good and evil. And so Josiah is a good king. And why is he good? It's because he is trying to restore the worship of Yahweh to the people of God. He's trying to restore that Yahwistic worship back to the tribe of Judah specifically. And that's why he is a good king. He's bringing reforms. And if you go back into 2 Kings and as well as Chronicles uh, chapters 34 and 35, you will see that he's tearing down these false idols. He's tearing down the high places, all these things to restore the right worship of God, the right worship of Yahweh. That's why he's good. But if you're picking up on this book already, and one of the themes that even if you've just perused it even now, you realize Josiah is also coming with a message of judgment. A message of judgment. So you may be asking the question, I don't know if you are, but I'm going to pretend that you are, for my, just for, for me to go along with where we're studying tonight. But you may be asking this question, well, Josiah is bringing reform, Yahweh back to the people of Judah, yet you're saying, Kenny, there's there's sin in the camp. There's, there's not right worship of Yahweh. That's exactly right. When I study the text, what I find is though Josiah is a good king, though he's trying to restore right worship of the Lord, what we find is that corporately these, these reforms are taking place, and let me say it kind of in a, in a layman's way, in the back streets, on White Street, on, on Main Street, on all those streets, people are still worshiping false idols. That's what's taking place here. Yes, there is the corporate reform, but on the day-to-day, as we'll see in verses 1 through 6, people are still worshiping false gods. And that's what we see is taking place here. And as I study, as I was studying the text over the last couple of weeks, that's what I find here. That's the conflict that we find in the book of Zephaniah. Because as we're going to see, one of the key themes that he delivers over and over and over again, over 18 times, is the words, the day of the Lord. 
the day of the Lord. And that is a very prominent theme in the Old Testament, especially within the prophets. We see the day of the Lord mentioned in Amos, Isaiah, Joel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Malachi, and Obadiah. And what is the day of the Lord? It has a twofold meaning. Number one, it's judgment. It's judgment. It's on judgment on the people of God and as well as the surrounding enemies that are attacking the ways of God. So it's a twofold judgment here. We see the day of the Lord is going to be gloomy. As Zephaniah describes it, it's going to be dark. We see it's going to bring judgment against the sins of the people and the surrounding nations. Pride will be vanquished, as Zephaniah describes. And, but also, again, to go back to punishing sin, the prophet is going to bring a message that you have broken covenant fidelity with the Lord. There's covenant infidelity on the side of Judah. That's what we find here. And so there's judgment, judgment against sin in the camp and unfaithfulness. The second thing we need to see with the day of the Lord is that there's going to also be blessing. Now, you may be thinking, Kenny, how in the world, after a message of the day of the Lord, can you bring blessing? Remember, Yahweh is a covenant-keeping God. He cannot go against his word. And through being a covenant-keeping God, there are going to be people, even in the midst of Judah, even in the midst of false worship, that are going to serve the Lord, love the Lord, worship the Lord. So there's going to be blessing. There's going to be hope for that remnant. But also, if you caught on to a couple of words I said, remember that I said that it's going to root out evil? It's going to root out evil and purge the evil from the midst of the camp so that people can repent of their sin repent of their unfaithfulness to Yahweh, and come back to the Lord. And that is, I think, very much of a blessing. And so that's what we see with the book of Zephaniah. He comes from from a word from the Lord with a direct message to the people of God, and he's bringing this idea of the day of the Lord. And it's severe, as we are going to see tonight in verses 1 through 6. So, like I said, if you've got your Bible open, please uh, flip over to Zephaniah 1. And tonight, we are going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. And this is, as we look through these six verses, this is a prologue, I'm going to call it a prologue, into the entire book of Zephaniah, these six verses. Because what we are going to see is he's describing everything that's going wrong with the people of Judah. But he's also going to pepper in, as we'll see, glimmers of hope glimmers of this remnant being faithful as well. But this is the prologue that we find in this short book of Zephaniah. And tonight, what I want us to do is I want to just look at two points. Two points. And that's not bad for a Baptist preacher to have two points, is it? You know, when I was studying this and preparing, I thought, Kenny, only two? I should have 15. But we're not. Uh, We've just got two tonight. But the first point we're going to look at, we're going to see most importantly how God despises sin. He despises sin. And then number two, what we're going to look at is how God desires true faith and obedience. He desires true faith and obedience. And so that's the roadmap that we're going to look at tonight. So like I said, open up with me to Zephaniah, and let's look at verses 1 through 6. Listen along with me in the Word of God. The Word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Zedekiah, and the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Verse 2, 
I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch up my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of thy idolatrous priest along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs and on the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. This is God's word. If you will, let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's, let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. So if you will, bow your heads with me. Eternal Lord and, and Heavenly Father, we are grateful for tonight. And Lord, grateful that we are here this evening, this night, uh, to end our day, the Lord's day, in worship. Father, I, I honestly couldn't think of a better way to start off our week, to be with the people of God and to be able to sit underneath the reading of, and the teaching of your word, the authority of your word, to, to be singing songs of praise and, and, of course, to see one another and for fellowship. Lord, as we walk through the book of Zephaniah and we look at these six verses, Lord, I pray that you will be with us now. Teach us, Lord, through your word. Father, allow your spirit to work in our hearts to see the beauty of who God is and how big our sovereign Lord is. And I also pray, Lord, for the conviction of sin. Father, that this word would do a mighty work in our hearts so that we can pursue holiness, that we, Lord, will see the severity of sin and, Lord, how you call your people to true faith and obedience. Lord, teach us through these verses. Teach us through these verses, O Lord. And I pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Look with me, starting in verse 1. Notice Zephaniah comes right out of the gate and says that his word is from the Lord. This is not Zephaniah's opinion. This is coming from Yahweh himself. The idea of word in the Hebrew is declaring a message, bringing forth truth. And this is given to Zephaniah. He's just the mouthpiece for the Lord. And that's what we see in verse 1. And just like in our introduction, we see the long genealogy of Zephaniah there, which, of course, we see the royal lineage. And I'm not going to go too much further into that, but we see this, this genealogy that has a rich genealogy from Zephaniah. But look with me in verses 2 and 3. In this prologue, like I said here, what we see is Zephaniah is coming out with a bang right here in these first opening verses to see the severity of sin in the midst of Judah. And that's our first point we're looking at tonight, is how God despises sin. And look how Zephaniah describes the punishment, the judgment, the day of the Lord that is coming to Judah. Notice in verses 2 and 3, there's a couple of words that are binding it together. He says, sweep away three times, declares the Lord two times, and the face of the earth two times. It is a total judgment coming to Judah that is encompassing man and beast. It's everything that is coming underneath the judgment of the Lord. It's severe. It is severe language coming upon the people of God in the tribe of Judah. And if you are a good Old Testament scholar, if you are noticing this language here of, of sweeping everything from the face of the earth and the fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven that we see in verses 2 and 3, you're probably recalling the incident of the flood. This is very similar language here that we see when God told Noah, I want you to build an ark to be 
because I have seen the sin on this earth and I am here to judge it. Flip over your Bible to Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to read these verses here. I think they're very important for us to see this point here of God despising sin. Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to be starting in verse 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on earth and it grieved into his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have traded from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Look down just a few more verses, starting in verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight, in God's sight, and the earth was stupid with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh was corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make the end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Flip back over to Zephaniah. So you see some familiarity, don't you? You see a lot of connection there from the Genesis account here to Zephaniah chapter 1. This judgment is severe, and it's coming from God himself. Now, when, Je- when Zephaniah is coming with this message, you may be thinking, even if you look back at the genealogy of Zephaniah, you could even say to yourself, and I'm sure even the people of Judah may be saying this, well, listen, look at Josiah. He's just brought these reforms. There's no way this is my fault. You know, this is, I'm just following the way of the leadership here in Judah. But what we see here is that God is calling sin for sin. It's Judah, and the context was Zephaniah. It's this generation that God is calling out sin. Not the past generation, but these people that are currently in the, in the tribe of Judah. These people are, are known as whoring after these false gods. And even though Josiah is bringing reform and restoring the worship of Yahweh, what we find is that they are in sin. That's the end of that's. And the nuts and the bolts of it right there, they are in sin for this false worship. God has raised up Josiah for, for a purpose, but as we saw in our introduction, there's still sin in the camp. Through the Spirit of God, and since God sees everything, He knows that the people of Judah are in sin, and they're going after these false gods. What we see there in verses 2 and 3 is something that we need to address, and it's a heart issue. Whether you recognize it or not, if you're going to go after these false gods, it's got to start somewhere, the heart. It's got to start somewhere, and it's in the heart. No matter what you're pursuing, no matter what false god is out there, and we'll, we'll dig into that in verses 4, 5, and 6 of these false gods, but no matter what, it's got to start in the heart, and that's the issue that Zephaniah is talking about. That's the word of the Lord that Zephaniah is, is getting, or excuse me, that's the word that he is getting from the Lord because that's what he cares about most is the heart, is the heart. And we see this and time and time again within the, the minor prophets is that the Lord is, is caring for the soul of the person. Well, even if you look at it, even in the New Testament, that's what Jesus even says in Luke chapter 6. He's caring about the heart of the person, the true faith, and where their obedience and trust is. Remember in Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we say, what we worship, what we do starts here. It starts here. 
And that's what we see Zephaniah coming out with a huge amount of, I think, severity for the people of Judah to see. Their heart is not right before Yahweh. Remember, this is the people of God. The joy of the Lord should be their strength. They should be loving the Lord with everything they have, with their heart, heart, and soul, but they don't. They don't truly know the Lord. They don't have covenant loyalty. And that's what we find ourselves here in verses 2 and 3. Jesus, again, if you will, turn over your Bible to the book of John. Jesus expounds on this, of getting to the heart of the issue, true loyalty to God, i.e. faith in God, what Jesus talks about in John 15. Look at this as he describes himself as the true vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me does not bear fruit. He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you have Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done to you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Flip back to Zephaniah. If you were to say, prove to be followers of Yahweh, these people would obviously fail. Their heart is away from the Lord. And that's what Zephaniah is is calling out here in verses 2 and 3. And here's what we need to see, a couple of points of application here, already out of the gate in Zephaniah's message. Number one, we have to see this. You cannot hide your sin from God. You cannot hide your sin from God. Again, think about the context of the letter. King Josiah, a good king, trying to restore Yahweh, the worship of Yahweh, yet people are still in sin which means that the Spirit of God is working in the midst of Judah and seeing this. And we've said that already. But here in the application of today, you can't hide your sin from God. We can't. We may try to press down on our consciences. We may be doing something in secret. And we think no one's going to see that. We push it off to the side. But you sin before a holy God. He sees everything. Proverbs 28, 13 reminds us of this. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Think about what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 16, 17, a contemporary Zephaniah. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. Take heed, Christian. The Lord sees. The Lord sees the sin in our hearts. And we have to get right with the Lord. Number two, Everyone is responsible for their sin. You know, I made the joke that I'm sure the people of Judah would say, listen, it's the evil king's fault. They're the ones that led us into this. It's their fault. Let's blame them. Let's put judgment on them, not us. But the reality is, the context of these people who are in Judah, they are in sin. We, you, are responsible for your sin. We can't blame others. We want to. It's easy to do that. They play the blame game, just like a child does. Think about it with a kid before. 
you see siblings at rivalry together, and you, the parent comes in, what happens always? What's going on here? She did it. He did it. It happens all the time. Again, I like to reference as a perfect child with my sister. I never had this issue. My sister was always the one to blame. But the reality is, that's what we find ourselves here, that we are responsible for our sin. It's the generation at hand that is in sin. Ezekiel 18.20 reminds us this, the son shall not suffer for the iniquity of their father, nor the father suffer the iniquity of the son. Can't blame your past. Just like Nathan confronted David for the sin, you are the man. You are in sin. It's not because of other things, David. You are that man. I don't quote a lot of preachers that are alive today often, but there's one quote that I think in this idea of sin that carries this point home even further. Charles Stanley says, you reap what you sow more than you sow and later than you sow when you're in sin. Be careful, Christian, because sin will take her further than we want to go. It'll always take us down a dead-end road. And look further into this, this sweeping away of judgment. He even says in verse 3, I will sweep away man and beast, birds, and the fishes of the sea. Why are the animals brought into it? It's because of the curse. Remember in Genesis, before the fall, who's in charge of the animal? Come on. God, no, yeah, but Adam, man. Listen, guys, you've got to know your Bible. Come on. I'm going I'm to send you back up to Adventure Club if you don't get any better than that. Um, we're going to stop evening service, and we're all going to wear green shirts. And, but the reality is this. They're being swept away because of the curse. Man is to be over the animal, and because man is being judged, here the animals follow suit. And here, Zephaniah, as we look through verses 4 through 6 together, the judgment gets now more specific. Look in verse 4 with me. I will stretch out my hand, and now he gets into the specificity of these sins. Against Judah, Jerusalem, Baal, the remnants of Baal, idolatrous priests, priests who bow down on the roofs of the heavens, and those who swear by Milcom. So he's getting very specific and calling out sin for sin. But notice in verse 4, he uses this anthropomorphic language of God stretching out his hand in judgment. Of course, we know that God is not made up of, of hands and feet. He is a spirit. But this language here is showing the severity of this judgment that is coming upon Judah. And think about just mere strength of what a hand portrays to us. You know, if you're a child or a grandchild or if you see a kid or, for example, if I saw my little girls outside and they were falling down those stairs outside on that, on that stone, uh, that, that brick patio or, or entrance there, if, if y'all were all over here, I would push all of you out of the way to go after my girls. Because, as you know, with men of short stature like Zacchaeus, we are known for our strength. And so, and so they called me two-ton in high school. And so... Anyway, I'll get to that story later. But, um, but in all seriousness, think about the severity of what a hand brings, of punishment. Think about disciplining of a child, what a hand does. Uh, so, and that's what we see in verse 4. And, but, look at, but I think it would behoove us to look at the specificity excuse me, of what Zephaniah is calling out. First, he calls out the people of Judah and against Jerusalem. Why is he calling out this people? Because the people of Judah are the last in these little tribes 
of remaining. Israel has been exiled. Judah has not been in exile. This is the letter was written pre-exile for the tribe of Judah. And so they are left. But then he says, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, a.k.a. the holy city. You're not going to bring judgment on God's people. You're not going to bring judgment on the holy city. But he does. God does. There's sin in the camp. Like we find ourselves. But look who also goes into Jerusalem and calls out sin in Matthew 21. Who goes into his father's house and calls it a dinner robbers instead of a house of worship? Jesus. Jesus does. And think about the severity of what Zephaniah is calling out here with Jerusalem and Judah, and as well as what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 21, calling out sin. In Matthew 21, this should be a place of worship. Judah, you should be a people following after Yahweh. You should be under the obedience of the law, but you're not. That's what Zephaniah calls out there in verse 4. And then he goes on into another detail. He says, the priest and the worshipers of Baal. You know, Baal, he shows up like that like that ugly cousin that you have. You know, they pop up everywhere. And, and for some reason, the people of Israel and as well as even Judah, Baal keeps coming up over and over and over again. But if you know anything about this false idol of Baal, you know that, number one, he's not real. He's false. He doesn't exist. But if you think about what he signifies, he's fertility. He's the god of gods, similar to the Greek mythology of Zeus. He's conquered the god of the stars. He's conquered the gods of the sea. But not to be a broken record, he's not real. He doesn't exist. And that's what we find Zephaniah calling out. You're going after a false god. He's not real. And yet Judah is bowing the knee to Baal. And and it's got priests there who are leading the people of God to this false worship. It's a bad situation that we find ourselves in here in the context of Zephaniah's word to, to Judah. But here's something we need to take heed of. Idol worship is easy to fall into in 2023. We might not bow the knee to Baal. We, not, we might not have a little statue of Baal in our homes. But I be, would be remiss not to say we probably buy bow the knee to other idols, money, power, sex, pride, good works, all those things. It's idol worship. It's breaking the first and the second command. I think another reason why the people keep falling back into the worship of Baal is because it's a man-made religion. Man-made religions are easy. You can plug and play that, that stuff. This looks good to me, so I think I'll bow the knee to power. I'm in control. I'm the master of my fate. All those things and more when we bow the knee to power, for example. It's man-made worship. And we can find ourselves in the same sin of the people of Judah back then, even in today's today's time. The incident of the golden calf in Exodus honestly is not too far removed from today's time. Our golden calf just looks, comes in different packages and forms. Whether it's in the package of self-love, treat yourself well, you are, like I said, the master of your fate, you're your own God, 
or go back to one of those examples, success, pride, whatever the case may be. It's the same golden calf, same idol worship, but most importantly what we need to see, it's sin. And we have to be watchful for that in our Christian life. And then number three, as we see at the end of verse four and five, those who bow down, excuse me, in verse five, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom. So what's Zephaniah saying here? It's astrology in this God named Milcom. Let me first take this idea of astrology. Listen, people have been worshiping the stars for generations. People have been worshiping the heavens for generations. We see even in Isaiah, we see it in Jeremiah, we even see it referenced in the book of Leviticus of people worshiping after the heavens. Even think about the wise men in the birth narrative. They were probably following some sort of astrology there in the birth narrative in Luke's, Luke 1 and 2. But the worshiping of tarot cards, palm reading, all that stuff, uh, the, the horoscope in, in, the, in the paper, people have been going after that for many, many years. People have been looking up to the stars, looking at this idea of Mother Earth and power in, the, in space and all those things. That's what they worship. I can remember when I was little, uh, my mom, she was very, a very loving lady, strong, strong Christian. Um, but my mom was very intelligent. And my mom, she gave me my love for space. As a lot of you have heard before, I love history. I love space history. I read books about the Gemini uh, missions and the Apollo missions. I read a book over the summer about the moon rover. Now, why in the world would anybody want to read something about the moon rover? I did. I think you should. Um, uh, but Catherine just looks at him and goes, man, put that away. Um, but I love thinking about space. But I remember one time when I was little, my mom, you know, in the news, when they say, hey, if you stand outside between 1 and 4 a.m., you can see different planets, shooting stars, whatever the case. I remember when I was about 8 or 9 years old, my mom woke me up in the middle of the night because there were shooting stars. And my mom had a telescope. And I remember us being on our side yard on the right-hand side of our house, and we're looking at this telescope, and we're watching shooting stars just go across the sky. And I remember my mom, like it was yesterday, verbatim saying this, Kenny, isn't it amazing to see God put those shooting stars in the skies? And we get to see it. And to see, and she quoted Psalm 19, that the heavens declare the glory of God. But I remember my mom also saying, but Kenny, there are people out there who worship the stars like it's a God. The same morning we find ourselves with this idea of astrology. It's empty. It's nothing but a man-made, world-bent philosophy. And then we go into Milcom. Milcom. Here's what I think what Zephaniah is saying here. I do believe it is a quagmire of philosophy and beliefs and as well as the worship of the god Moloch. Let me take that latter half first. If you know anything about the god of Moloch, it is a satanic, false god who, again, who doesn't exist and who requires child sacrifice. Doesn't they give you the heebie-jeebies? Child sacrifice? I'd be remiss not to say this. It's the same thing with abortion today, the people that fall at the feet. That's saying abortion is right. It's not. It's the same thing we see. But this God of Molech, people obviously were worshiping and bowing down to, and they had priests. 
But we also see this idea of multiple forms of worship going, coming into play. Think about what's just being, being described. You have the worship of Baal, you've got Yahweh in the mix, and now the God of Molech. So I do believe it's a two-sided coin here. It's a bunch of religions being forced into one, and that's what the people are worshiping here. And that's what I think we find here in the end of verse 5. And again, it's sin. It's, and this sin, God is bringing punishment. He's bringing punishment up, upon the people of Judah. And that's what we find ourselves here. And, and, and here's also something we need to see. Another point of application. I mentioned this, the idea that God sees our sin. But I think in our confession, just like in Psalm 51, we have to, be, we have, to have a spirit when we know that God sees our sin, but we also have to be transparent before God with our sin. God is very specific here in this word from Zephaniah. And just like if you, were, if you were to flip over to Psalm 51, you don't have to, but you see that David is very specific about the murder and his adultery. And ladies and gentlemen, God sees our heart. He knows what's cooking in there. He knows what we are worshiping. And so I believe in our, in our repentance before God, we have to be specific with our sin to address it head on and as well as to repent and go exactly the other way and to flee it so we know how to fight against it. And this leads us to verse 6 and also to our second point tonight, if you want to write this down. In verse 6, we are going to find ourselves that God desires true faith and obedience. True faith and obedience. Zephaniah 6 is a summary, I believe, from verses 2 through 5. Zephaniah says, Those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. This is a summary of what's taking place in verses 2 through 5. But what we have to see in verse 6 is that there is a willingness of the people in their heart, starting in their heart, that have turned from the Lord, from the Lord, excuse me, willingly turned from the Lord. They are the ones who have turned their back from following the Lord and who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. It's dangerous here that we find in verse 6. It's dangerous. And this is the heart of the people. These are our people who God loves. These are a people for a couple of hundred years before Zephaniah who were brought from Pharaoh, from his slavery, from Egypt, and taken to the promised land. These are people who were loved by God, who were, who were commanded to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind. You see everything that God loves for the people of Judah, yet their heart is far from them. Their heart is far from them. And I believe we can see in verse 6, again, a couple of points of application that we need to see here. Number one is this. The worship of God, though it can be seen in the public square, though even like the reforms of Josiah where it was trying to implement, their heart was far from true faith in Yahweh. Their heart was far from true faith from Yahweh. Jesus quoting Isaiah 29 and Matthew 15 when the Pharisees and the Sadducees confront him and say, why are you not following the traditions that we do? Why are you not following the ways of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? In Matthew 15:8, he says, the people honor me with their lips for their heart is far from me. What Jesus cares about is true faith, 
true saving faith. He even expounds on this in Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What Zephaniah is wanting Judah to see is true faith that starts here in the heart, in the heart of Judah, and as well as with Jesus' message, and the heart of the people into in their hearts as well, and ours today. But here's the other thing we need to see, is those who can fall away from the faith. A seminary professor said this one time, if you fall away from the faith, you never had it. I believe that's true. If you fall away from the faith, you never had it. If, you, if your heart has been transformed by the power of the gospel, the last thing you want to do is run away from God. The last thing you want to do is run away from God. And people, but here's the warning we need to see. Sin is crouching at the door. Sin comes in different packages and ways that tempt us more in more ways and more ideas and philosophies than we can think and imagine. And so I do think we have to watch ourselves and not fall into some type of sin that we talked about just a moment ago with the idea of idol worship. But here's something I think we need to pull out from here. What's truly going on here in the heart? What's truly going on in the tribe of Judah? I believe they have lost the fear of the Lord. I believe they have lost the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not talked about anymore. No one likes to even talk about the word fear. Because even when you think about fear, immediately what happens in our minds is we begin to get anxious. We begin to worry. That's the fear that our hearts a lot of times are directed towards. But the fear of the Lord is biblical. And the fear of the Lord is what we as Christians are called to have and on a daily basis. John Calvin summarizes verse 6 with this. The apostasy of Judah is that they cast aside every fear of God and shook off every shame. They shook off the fear of God, the fear of the Lord, and shook off every shame. The fear of the Lord is the right attitude of our hearts. I'm going to ask, if you will, flip over to the book of Psalms. And I want you to see this picture and how beautiful and how precious and sweet the fear of the Lord is in the life of a true disciple of the Lord. Psalm 25. Psalm 25. Look what's described here in Psalm 25. The fear of the Lord. Starting in verse 12 through 15. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever to the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the fear of the Lord? Think about what's described there. Well-being is given. Friendship from the Lord is given. 
and he will make known his covenant, his covenant loyalty, his blessing, his grace, his mercy. He would know this, and we can rest assured the Lord will pluck his feet out of the net. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what the fear of the Lord looks like? Flip over to another prophet in Isaiah chapter 11, because I would be, would, I'd be remiss not to mention this as well, to see who has the fear of the Lord as well. Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11. On the heading, you probably see the righteous reign of the branch or the righteous branch in some virgins, in some virgins of your Bible. Look what's described starting in verse 2. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of of the Lord. What's Isaiah? Who is Isaiah describing? Jesus. That is the righteous branch. And Jesus has the fear of the Lord and known for the fear of the Lord in his heart. And that's what is described of our, our Savior. And that should be described of every disciple of Christ that have the fear of the Lord. And we can know this fear by having a true saving faith in Jesus Christ. And we see this idea of fear even with the commissioning of Jesus' baptism in Luke chapter 3 when the Lord blesses and commissions him to be the Messiah, the anointed one. And he says, this is my beloved son to whom I am well pleased. And we see even from that moment on this relationship between the son and the father. And we see this reverent holy fear that Jesus has with the father and ladies and gentlemen, that is the same fear we as Christians, those who have faith in Jesus, are supposed to have. We can know this fear and have this fear all because of our faith in Christ. We're supposed to have this fear. And the fear of the Lord will drive us also to the second part of, our, of this passage, to obedience. To obedience. We don't have an empty faith. We don't have a faith that is anchored in nothing. We have a faith that is anchored also in the obedience and underneath the word of God, obedience to the commands of Christ. The fear of the Lord is going to drive us to people who are going to be obeying the word. If you flip over just one page to Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3, he says this, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Who do his just commands. Zephaniah here in Zephaniah 2 is describing that remnant. Those who are continuing to be bound faithful in the eyes of the Lord. But notice what's described of them. Who do his just commands. Faith and obedience go hand in hand. Obedience is the hallmark of the Christian life, as John MacArthur says. And this is what we need to understand in verse 6. is true faith, true obedience. And true faith, you might, you might be saying, Kenny, where are you pulling that out in verse 6? But those who have turned back aren't, don't have this, this true faith. But what we see is the opposite here in verse 6, is that we are called to follow the Lord, and we are called to seek the Lord and inquire of him. The flip-flop here that Zephaniah does here, that, that's the response that the people of Judah are supposed to have, but they don't. But here, at the, just at the message in the heart of Zephaniah, this is what he wants for the people of Judah, true faith. 
if you, you don't have to flip there, but this idea of true faith is even seen in the book of Habakkuk, verse 2-4. But the righteous shall live by his faith. And this is what Zephaniah is wanting to see. This is the faith that Abraham practiced that counted to him as righteous because he believed in God and the promises of God. This is the same faith that we see over and over and over again described even in the Old Testament that is going to be true saving faith. And we especially see this idea of the justification by faith alone being described in Romans 1.17 and as well as in Galatians 3. And this is the faith that Zephaniah says is going to bring blessing from the Lord. This is the other side of the day of the Lord and the message that Zephaniah is bringing. And folks, this is what can make us rejoice. And this is what the true faith, faith excuse me, that is going to bring us through hardship and suffering. And this is the true faith that we see that Zephaniah is wanting to exalt for the people of Judah to take hope in. Because that's what they desperately need in this time of judgment. They need the hope of who Yahweh is and how Yahweh has extended faith to them. Yes, there's sin in the camp, but there's also, as we will unpack here in verses in chapter 2 and 3, there's also a call of repentance that we're going to see. And we can see that even in these, in these six verses. And the same application for us even here today. This is what Jesus is requiring, true faith and obedience in him alone. And I would be remiss not to say this. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, come to faith today. I beg you. I beg you with everything in me and every fiber of my being. Come to faith in Christ today. And to see that this judgment, this severe judgment that we see coming from Zephaniah, the judgment of God was poured onto Jesus on the cross we see the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus on the cross for the penalty to, for your sin, for my sin. And he took it on our behalf. And we have to know this, and we have to see this even in the midst of this short little book of Zephaniah. This is the hope we have in Christ alone. This is the faith that Zephaniah is trying to exalt for the people of Judah to see. This is a picture of who Yahweh is. This is the great I am. And this is how big our God is. So I pray for those who are in here or watching online. If you don't know Christ, come to faith in Christ today. But if you are a Christian, watch yourself. Don't pursue after false idols. It leads you down a dead-end road, and it brings nothing but judgment from the Lord. It brings judgment from the Lord. In closing, when we come to a book like Zephaniah, it's easy for us to think from the pews, this doesn't apply to me, this is judgment on the people of Judah, but God is still judging sin. He is still judging sin. And there's something in your heart tonight, something weighing down on your conscience that you need to confess before the Lord. Do it now. Don't wait. Don't wait. Do it now before the Lord. And like I said a moment ago, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know what this true faith looks like and you want to know more about it, come, come see me at the end of the service. Go see Pastor Grant, and we'll tell you more about what faith in Christ looks like. But the charge for the believer is this. The true people of God are known 
by faith and obedience. We are known because we are called to flee youthful passions. We are called to hate sin. We are called to kill sin. Otherwise, it would be killing you, as the great, as John Newton said. But we also see this. This idea of judgment, this idea of the day of the Lord, we also have to see the eschatological tones that's pointing to the future. Peter talks about this in Second Peter, this idea of the day of the Lord, the final consummation of the kingdom. Listen, Jesus would come back, could come back at any moment, any moment, or he could take you home right now. The fact that you and I are alive today is an immense gift of grace from our Lord. And so if you're a Christian here, and that's a big if, take heed of your life. Take heed. And I say that from love, and I say that also with truth, because we only have one life. We only have one shot at this life. Remember, you were bought with a price. And make your life count for the glory of God. I was reading, I love to read about missionaries of old, and I was reading about Jim Elliott, the famous missionary. And I love the line, you probably have heard it before, but I love how he was quoted, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We were bought with a price. May the fear of the Lord be our driving focus for the remaining days that the Lord puts us on this earth. Let's pray. Father, when we come to a message like this in Zephaniah, Lord, this judgment, it's severe. It can be even hard to read. Language like sweeping away and I'll stretch up my hand, I will cut off mankind. Lord, these are not easy words to read. But Lord, but what it shows us is how much you take serious sin and how much, Lord, you despise it. Lord, I pray for all of us in here. I pray for those who may watch it online or listen later. I pray, Lord, that we, if we have not put our, our faith, our hope, our trust in Jesus, and, and we know that we are, we are sinners, we've sinned against a holy God, we can't escape sin, but we know, Lord, that you sent forth your Son to, who came to seek and to save the lost. I pray for anyone in here. Help them come to faith in Christ today to see that Jesus bore the wrath. Jesus bore the judgment on the cross for the penalty of our sins. But Lord, also I pray for us to see, for those who are Christians, Lord, to see how you take very serious, very serious, how we are called to live our lives. Father, what struck me all week is this is Judah, the people of God, the people to whom you love yet their heart is far from you. Lord, I pray that our hearts will abide and rest in Christ alone. Lord, that we will look to Jesus, we will look to, cross, to the cross for our hope. And we will take heed Lord, that we will take serious 
our attitudes, our thoughts, our words, our deeds, everything. And we realize, Lord, that we are living quorum day before the face of God, that we only have one life. So, Lord, help our lives to count for the fear of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord, and for your honor. Father, thank you for the book of Zephaniah. And I pray, Lord, for your blessing upon it as we leave this place. Because, Lord, that's what the word of the Lord does not stop here in these walls. As we think, as we meditate on your word, as we go back into Zephaniah, I pray, Lord, that it will continue to do a mighty work in our heart. So, Father, we love you and we pray these things in Christ's good and holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at capitalcommunitychurch.com.